Welcome to NAFA's Inner Circle, a show where we talk to industry insiders like actors, directors, cinematographers, writers, producers, presented by New England International Film Awards. Here with us, we have the 2023 winner of the Golden Lighthouse Award for Best Feature Film. He is a force behind Grand Ovic Capital, an entertainment finance company with a Latino focus, part of the production team for movies like The Card Counters, starring Oscar Isaac with Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese, Paradise City with Bruce Willis and John Travolta, Force of Nature with Ima Hirsch and Mel Gibson. Ruben Islas, welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Gerardo. Nice to see you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Ruben Islas? I was born in Los Angeles, grew up in the hood, and I moved to San Diego to Barrio Logan when I was six years old. I decided to get myself an education. I wanted to be a cardiologist. <laughs> Best laid plan right and so i went to ucsd i was always very very interested in writing being creative so maybe i'm right brain left brain i don't know i uh i got my degree from ucsd in dramatic literature with a concentration in anton chekhov then from there i went to saint john's university in new york and started my master's program there in writing and did not finish i um i fell in love as they say and i moved uh back to california to start a company uh early on i always had businesses and i i started writing a producing commercials and that was just very boring for me and so i wanted to get into film as an actor and i started uh auditioning and everything was you know you're a drug dealer you're a narco you're a cholo you're a landscaper i mean that was it that was the world and i was about 21 22 years old and i decided no i, I need to go into business so that i can make the films that represent me i've never been a landscape a cholo yes i saw that that our latino community was not being represented in a way that i could be proud of and so I started getting into business with the promise to myself that at some point I would get to the place where I would make that dream come true. I figured it would be for others because just being a businessman. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in being a real estate developer early on. I had no money, but I had a good brain. I started a company called Logan Capital in 1998 and uh, got to the place where it was very successful. Thank God. Uh, I remember about 12 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, someone asked me, what would you regret not having done on your deathbed? I said, making films. I started focusing on it. I started, I, there were movies I wanted to make. There were stories I wanted to tell that had been buried from my creative time because I was a businessman. And that was always there with me. You know, uh, I'm such a fan of uh, Garcia Marquez with magical realism and Juan Rulfo with Pedro, Pedro Paramo and Borges and Fuentes and, and um, really read as much as I could and wrote as much as I could in my spare time. And it was just, it was time to do it. And so I launched Grand Ave Capital and I produced a film, an idea that I had about a true story about a couple that fell in love. It's a movie called In Other Words, which I think is still available online. Got together with a, a production team out of Los Angeles, Patrick Perez and Christina Nava Perez. And we worked together to make that film. Then I made a movie based on my divorce, which is a raunchy comedy called Divorce Bait, which we actually were very fortunate. Samuel Goldwyn bought the world from us on it. And I started trekking along, getting involved more as a producer. Um, I had the capital. And so I started really becoming an executive producer and getting more and more involved in film. One day, I literally had a dream of uh, a cross, a small cross that was attached to a rosary, was attached to a, a pair of hands, and then 
as in my dream, as the camera came up, it revealed Christina Urias as a nun. And I called her and I said, Christina, I had the craziest dream about you being a nun. And we had a good laugh about it. <laughs> and then I started going down that rabbit hole. I did this, this idea wouldn't leave me. And so for many days, I had this image and I started doing research and talking with Christina and my team with, with, with my team about this story I wanted to tell. That's when I discovered Talitha Kum or Talitha Kumi, some people say, which in Aramaic means I say to you, young girl, stand up. I started developing the premise of the story uh, of Sister Anne Marie, which is now Final Vow. And it started unfolding. Christina and I started writing it. Then we got, I don't know, about halfway through. And then I reached out to my friend, Danforth Comins, who is, uh, I knew from the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and he's played every great Shakespearean role you can think of, and he's just an amazing actor, mm -hmm. but also an amazing writer. And so the three of us developed the story, and I did not intend on directing it. I actually spoke to other people about directing it, and every time I would talk to people of other directors, I was like, no, I, that's not what I'm thinking. And finally, I, I guess I got the courage and the absolute need to direct this story myself because it was so my vision. I mean, it was so a story I needed to tell, you know, as a Catholic who went to private school to uh, was was taught by nuns, always had nuns around me and I, I would respected them so much. Also, I'm the oldest of four. I have three younger Latina sisters and I have three amazing Latina daughters. I thought I have a responsibility to tell the story in my way. So uh, as they say, I dove off the uh, deep end of the pool and decided to direct it. So not only executive produce it, write it and direct it along with my team. And it was such a labor of love. I, I just, I, I, I was fascinated with it. And I think there was something about my acumen as a businessman as a real estate developer and being able to tackle complex problems and day-to-day -day issues. But then you throw in the creativity part of it. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, I, I had all the insecurities every director has, I guess. And we started trekking through this film and just fell in love with the, with the characters and had amazing actors. The location was great. And all of the story and the way I, I approached it every day, it was so visceral. Right. It, it, I could see every shot. Um, I scouted the locations before uh, we, we, we started shooting. So I, I, could Im, I could write to the locations. And then I started writing music. Uh, a lot of the music in the movie uh, was written in collaboration with myself and Madai, who's an amazing singer. She sings that song, Piedad, Piedad, Piedad. You know, when Sister Anne Marie. Mm -hmm in that heavy, heavy scene. So we wrote that before one word was written of the script. And then I realized, I said, there's never been, I've never heard a song, uh, a lullaby for for orphans. And so we wrote the song that, that Sister Anne Marie, that was playing when Sister Anne Marie is with the children in bed. So that's a lullaby for orphans, you know, street orphans, you know, children who don't have anyone. And so there was so much that we had already put together that by the time the script was being written, it just fell into place. So when I got on set, I knew exactly what I wanted the thing to feel like, I, what I knew, I knew the shots I wanted. And, and uh, I love the idea of triangulation. There's something very attractive about setting a camera and having the angles in a room and the angles of people and letting that be attractive. I think what happens now in a lot of film is that the camera's moved around a lot and that's great 
you need your coverage, you need your things. But I also believe that it's okay to leave a camera alone and move people. And so mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that that I really enjoyed was playing with that in, in, in Final Vow and and having shots that are panoramic. Uh, I shot the film an, in anamorphic. I think it was Black Wings. I thought, I can't remember. I've, I've made four films. I can't remember which, uh, which set of lenses, but it was the Ari and it was just so beautiful how we were able to capture these beautiful images of like the, you know, when the horse is out there with the tree and there's that blue little hut, that little house. I didn't build that. It exists. Mm -hmm. I found it, right, in La Misión, where we filmed the film in, in Baja California. There were just so many things that the universe presented to me that I was like, this is perfect. Like, I have to put this in the film. And the fact that we shot at a real orphanage, that's a real orphanage in Baja California, in La Misión was just a blessing, you know, it, it, it all came together so beautifully, just really, really amazing. But that's that's really how this whole thing came about. Started with a dream of me <laughs> seeing Christina as a nun. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful. I'm very proud of, of what we did in terms of the cinema. The message, though, is so important. Mm -hmm. right this is a humongous problem you know yes it's all it's really all about the message and all of our best ideas tend to come to us in dreams like mm -hmm. for example i have many dreams and i've pursued many you know business opportunities because i i do have a business background originally i never went to school for film or theater i mean in middle school i did theater but in high school i was a competitive swimmer uh, so i really didn't have time to pursue theater any longer right. and then when i got to college that's when it, that acting bug kind of hit me i was right. i really wanted to get involved in theater right. and then i i call myself a covid actor because i essentially started acting during covid so there was that opportunity that i got and you know i really never looked back i love acting it's a lot of fun for two years i was training my senior and then my first year out of college so i've been doing quite a lot of you know i've been starting this new f film festival new england international film awards so that was definitely something very tough to wrap my head around just doing so many things i mean you're not just the co-founder you you wearing so many hats right. getting the yeah, finance all those hats you know i i definitely kind of understand uh where, where you're coming from in terms of, of starting your own thing and making it well successful. yeah i the, i fell into acting when i was uh in when i was 12 years old i think i was in the sixth grade seventh grade at my school the everyone had to be involved in a play they were doing they were doing oliver oliver twist and we all had to audition the entire school so everybody was going to have a role. But I was a cool, tough kid from the hood, right? There's no way I was going to like be singing and dancing on stage, even though I love to sing and I love to dance. Well, I walked into the audition and the director was like, well, sing something for me. I was like, no, 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 I'm too cool for that. And <laughs> I said, I'll work on I'll work on lighting or something or in the background. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sing happy birthday. So I sang happy birthday. He said, here's what you're going to do. He handed me a piece of paper. He said, you come back at lunch and you sing these words to me. You can go, but be back soon. You can go, but while you're working, 
Remember this old tune. Be back soon. And I got cast as Fagin in Oliver. And I pretended to be like, oh, I can't. I'm too cool for this, right? I loved it. I got the bug at 12 years old. And so I started getting really involved in theater. But being from a very, very, very poor background. I mean, I... I picked tomatoes in the field. I mean, I know what hunger looks like, right? Not anymore because I'm kind of chunky. But I know what it looks like. I mean, I literally would get up at four in the morning and go pick tomatoes in the field and then go to school and then do my sports and my homework and my theater. And so I had to find something that I could tell my parents, like, I'm going to make money. And so I wanted to be a doctor. But I really did want to be a doctor. And that I, you know, I went all through high school and then I went to UCSD in, here in California. And I, my intention was to go to medical school. But two years into this program, I hated it. I was miserable because I love theater so much. And so I dropped out of college and I went to L.A. and I auditioned. Um, I didn't audition. I did open mic for at the comedy store. And I got hired by Mitzi Shore, who owns the comedy stores in Hollywood. For two years, I did a program and I was just partying too much. It was a lot of fun, but I was 20 years old. I turned 21 on stage at the comedy store, but it was a wonderful experience. Wow. Then I went back to UCSD to finish my degree in dramatic literature and I continued to do acting, but I really focused on my writing. So my introduction to the world, the creative world, was it always pulled me back. It always drew me back. And so I think now I'm getting to live my dreams as a creative person, not only as a businessman, as the finance guy, because Grandavia Capital finances films and partners, does executive production. And and my goal is to work with Latinos and try to tell stories that we don't usually get to tell, right? So I'm trying to make the films that we otherwise would not be able to make, but I can't tell them all. Everybody's got a great story. So I'm always looking for wonderful stories, great actors, great directors, and giving them an opportunity. I'm very proud of the fact that my focus is people of color and my LGBTQ brothers and sisters to have an opportunity in front of the camera and behind the camera. So I have the opportunity to get members into IATSE, into the unions that they otherwise wouldn't have. I have the opportunity to get young people to be in front of the camera and behind the camera on technical levels. You know, working on the cameras, working on lighting, becoming gaffers, like whatever the whatever the case may be. But I love the idea that because of my finance background, I get to open up those doors across a huge spectrum, you know? And so we are launching careers in film because of Grandavi Cap. And so I'm very, very proud of that. And also the fact that I jumped in to making this film and now I'm a director and thank you to you. I'm an award-winning director, right? So I'm very <laughs> proud of that. And so, um, so I think for me, it's very fulfilling. And um, after Final Vow, I, I, I have a home in Mazatlan, Mexico. And I, I asked to get a massage. And I met this masseuse, Doale Cañi, mm -hmm. Doali Cañes. And it was during the time of COVID. So she was wearing a mask. And I said, can I see your face? She pulled down her mask and inspired this film, like beginning to end. And I told her, I said, I'm going to make you famous. I got my team together and I said, I want to make this movie called Clay. So Final Vow is about human trafficking. It's a very important story. It's about the relationship with the church. It's the relationship. And, I, and I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm not taking, I'm not a politician. I'm not taking a political stance. I'm simply saying, I'm going to ask you a question, right? Mm -hmm. And what I want is that people watch Final Vow and go home and talk about it, right? It's got to be the kind of film where you go, well, what do you think of that? Was that right? Was it not? It's based on a true story. But in that story, the tragedy is that the nun is actually killed at the end. And in our story, I'm saying, hey, 
What if she lived, right? And what responsibility does the church have? Because Talitha Kum is a real group of super nuns who are undercover around the world and they're endangering their lives. What responsibility does the church have for allowing that to happen and sanctioning it? Not that anybody needs permission in that regard in terms of saving another human being, but these amazing nuns, these super nuns, and Google that, Google super nuns and it'll all come up. This is real. What responsibility do we have as a society to help them out? And why do we not know that this group exists, right? Even though the Pope has out, come out publicly to acknowledge that in fact they do exist. So the message of that film for me was really, really at the forefront of directing every single scene, of directing every scene so that every scene would, would reflect what I'm trying to tell in the film, right? And the hardest thing is not to preach to people about what I'm doing. It's just, mm -hmm. you make your own decision. I was raised Catholic, but I know the realities of what goes on in the Catholic church, right? And so the fact that there's this group of nuns that are undercover, risking their lives every day around the world to save children, and that we don't know about this is shocking. So that's Final Vow. One of the other things I tackle as a Mexican-American, I was born in the United mm -hmm. States, but I'm very close. I mean, I'm Mexicano, right? And so... Uh, I'm very proud of my culture. Well, I meet people all the time in the United States that are Latinos from wherever. And I want to talk to them about their culture. And they know nothing about their culture. I think that's a tragedy, right? You will never be a complete person until you know, right, your culture. Where do you come from? Because unless you're Native American, you're not from here, right? And I think mm -hmm. it's important that we have pride in our culture. And that if you know your roots you can be very strong wherever you go, right? If you're Italian-American, if you're uh, uh, Italian-Mexican, Irish-Mexican, whatever, whatever it is, but our Mexican culture is so incredibly rich, right? Our Latino cultures are so rich that I wanted to tackle that issue. So we wrote and I directed a film called Clay that we actually just, I just finished all post on it. It's, it's all done. Subtitles wow. are done. It's ready to go. The premise of the film is a young a, a guy from Chicago who leaves Chicago and goes to Mazatlan because his mother is from Mazatlan. So I tackle this thing. So this guy goes to Mazatlan because his mother's from Mazatlan, and she always told him how beautiful it was there. He's mm -hmm. half, half Mexican, half German, but he oh. doesn't speak a word of Spanish. He's a pocho. He goes to Mazatlan because he's had a tragedy happen to him in Chicago. And so he goes to basically end his life in Mazatlan. And he's an expat. He's hanging out in the historic core. Mm. He lives, he basically hangs out in bars. And I've met these people down there, right? Because I live there. And so this is based on real personalities I met. But then one day he falls in love with Doali, a masseuse. She starts to explain to him and teach him, teaching him about his own culture. And he's like, oh my God, a culture that we don't know when we come to the United States and we ignore our roots, right? She is a a metaphorical figure of that. Well, you're going to fall in love with your culture because your culture is beautiful, but you just got to open your eyes to it. But it's too late. It's just too late. And it's a beautiful film. I'm very, very proud of it. You know, hopefully you guys will see it and like it and put it in your festival. But I'm very, very proud of it. And then I I, uh, I tackled a movie called Gringo Hunter, which is based mm -hmm. on a real group of police officers. I know a lot of police officers, they're friends of mine, and I actually support a lot of the causes for our fallen heroes. And in Tijuana, 
and Rosarito and Ensenada is a real group of police officers called gringo hunters. What happens is when Americans leave the United States after having committed a crime, they the American law enforcement call the gringo hunters and talk to them. They're the kind of guys that like wear costumes and and they are arresting. This may sound like an exaggeration, but I think they arrest 50 to 60 people a month. It's a lot. No. Right. And they're they're elite law enforcement. Well, Hollywood for years, you know, the cops are always corrupt. They don't have any redeeming qualities. Well, in Final Vow, I play with that, right? Because the cops are involved. They're dirty because that's a reality. But there's the other side of it. And I know these cops. They're personal friends of mine. I mean, they come to my house and we hang out. And I decided to make a film about the good guys, right? And how amazing they are. And so that movie is called Gringo Hunter. That's in post as well. It's almost done. And so we shot that in Baja as well. Then I finished the film in uh, Guadalajara. I co-directed that with Dan Fomans. Uh, and we tackle autism in that in that. Really? Film. Yeah. So wow. I made a film called Atypical Pirate. Atypical, but atypical. Atypical Pirate. And what I'm dealing with there is how we don't understand autism. Mm. The premise of that story is that it's a young man who is essentially sequestered because he's a genius. He's an autistic, but he's a genius. And a concern uses his genius to steal crypto wallets. He wow. realizes this and starts to outsmart everyone, but he's undocumented. He escapes and works it so that he gets deported to Guadalajara. Why mm -hmm. Guadalajara? Well, first off, my family's from there, but Guadalajara was essentially built by the Freemasons. There were a lot of pirates there. There was a lot of secret messages in their architecture because it's newer, right? It's, it's not like the pyramids like in Mexico City. And so I wanted to tackle treasure hunting. Why? Because autism is a treasure hunt. Autistic children, we don't understand them but they are treasures, right? Yeah. We just have to figure out how they think because they're geniuses, you know, 99% of the time. They right? are, they are. You hear about these amazing indigo kids and these stories. I have a special needs stepdaughter. She is under cerebral palsy, uh, mm -hmm. but and my wife has a nonprofit called Bella's House of Hope. My, my daughter's name is Bella. So she started a nonprofit called Bella's House of Hope for single parents with kids with special needs. What's interesting is that because of my relationship with my daughter, I've met a lot of autistic children. And as I'm talking to these parents, these parents are treasure hunters, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking for the treasure that their children, their brains are hiding these treasures. And it requires patience and diligence, right? And so I tackled this character of this autistic boy who's a genius who gets deported to Mexico and he finds his way in looking for treasure while he's being pursued because he takes a crypto wallet worth worth five hundred million dollars. It's like an it's like a national treasure meets I don't know. Uh, we were fortunate enough. Uh, Mira Sorvino, who's an Academy Award winning actress, she came to Guadalajara and worked with us, uh, as well as other great actors. It's really beautiful. There's going to be a lot of special effects on it, and so mm -hmm. that requires more time. So I think I'll finish that film sometime november of next year but it's okay. uh yeah and it's a much bigger budget film but those are the kinds of things that i'm directing i'm writing and i'm working on but those are the kinds of stories i'm looking for from my mm -hmm. latino brothers and sisters from my filmmakers and it's obviously not just latinos my focus is on women stories that empower women and i'm trying to put my money where my mouth is with things like final vow anyway yeah that's so that's who i'm that's what we're doing 
And that's kind of the repertoire that I now have directed. And mm -hmm. uh, I've got some ideas for next year, but I'm busy. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's great that you're busy. I mean, everybody, I, I love to be busy because if I'm not busy, I'm bored. That's that's yeah. kind of my thing. And I hate being bored. But it's it's ironic that you mentioned the the film with that touches upon autism. When I came to this country from Mexico City, I moved to Houston. And in Houston, I was probably the only Spanish-speaking person in the entire school, which kind of didn't allow me to learn as quickly as everybody else. So they, they put me in, in classes with kids that were autistic and mm -hmm. kids with uh, a little bit of learning disabilities. So I mean, ever since my, the second, third grade, I've been around autistic children, right. children with special needs. Ever since I graduated from second grade to graduation of high school, I've been around them. And I've really kind of learn how to understand them because they are geniuses they just they don't express it in the same method as every other person as right. you know that quote-unquote average person so you understand so what that, i'm talking about yes the treasure hunt to understand them right because they have mm -hmm. amazing gifts and so if you you'll never find a treasure if you think like a normal like i'm just gonna go dig something up no you yeah. have to look for the signs you have to be patient you have to think like them. It's an amazing trek to try to discover that. In my acting class as well, there there's a section of the class where we do impediments. Autism was one of my impediments. Now autism is a very big spectrum of autism. Throughout the, the film that you mentioned, I mean, what was it like writing that character? I mean, how much research do you really have to put into understanding thinking of what this character is going to do well um, you see know. the the fear i had is that and i love the movie rain man okay i i love it but it's very eh, it's not really what it's like right that was very hollywoodized mm -hmm. and i respect it and it's an amazing film and dustin hoffman's a genius but i didn't want to fall into that trap i wanted the actor julio macias was amazing amazing julio macias god what an actor my goodness he, he he was really he's amazing in this role but it's more about getting into his brain and seeing what he sees so from a director's perspective i'm trying to show the audience how an autistic person may see the world where you and i see a building he sees angles and masonic messages and signs you know mm -hmm. and so his quirks if you will is they're more ticks than they are obviously autistic right so that you're not mm -hmm. sure it's a big undertaking uh the film the filming of it turned out beautiful and Guadalajara looks amazing and they were very warm to us and allowing us to to film in wonderful buildings like the Teatro de Goyado and um, just, uh, you know, things like that. Like they really gave mm -hmm. me access to the tunnels in Guadalajara, the Masonic Cemetery I was allowed to film there. Wow. And so when I got deep into the history of Guadalajara and how it was developed, what would be the things that we as normal humans, typical humans, right, would see? And what would be different in the way that an atypical person would see the symbols and the signs because they're all in front of us well i had to do a bunch of research to discover it where someone who is autistic and is a real treasure hunter may see it mm. right away right because of the way their brain works so that's that's how i approached it and uh we'll see if i'm successful we'll see if it comes out but i'm 
I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, we got the principal photography done, and now I'm working with uh, with my uh, post production house, uh, Grandave Capital. We have our own post production house in Guadalajara. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and so my VFX team is working on it. There are lots of different directions I can go. I we they have we have amazing animators, so. There's a possibility we may go 2D animation, but then using um, all of the new technology, there's so much I can do in terms of um, creating that world of what I think my character would see the world, the way I think he would look at the world. So I'm mm -hmm. excited for that. Yeah, but that's okay. that's yeah, that'll start post in the summer. What is the difference between filming in Mexico and in the U.S. or like Hollywood? Well, I, I I produced a lot of films in in the U.S like wrote and produced and executive produced, I think five or mm -hmm. six films in the US, in Los Angeles and areas like that. Right now, my team is in Louisiana working on a movie. I'm working on something in New Mexico as well. Uh, what is the difference? I think the process is just more simple. There's also other complications, right? Because Guadalajara is a major city. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of stuff. But it's been wonderful. But I think all in all, it just depends on the story. It depends on the vision you have. And so it just so happens that I'm been making films that fit Guadalajara. Right. But I'm working. I'm 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 toying around with an idea that we will shoot in New Mexico, because that's mm -hmm. where it belongs. It isn't so much my decision as much as the decision of the creative gods that go, oh, you know what? That's where it's got to be. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's just what it is. You listen to the story. Inevitably, what happens in L.A., in Los Angeles, is everybody tries to make their story fit into Los Angeles when it may have to be filmed somewhere else, right? And so I think that's what it is. I think it's just listen to your story. And that's what I've been doing, and I and it, it finds me. And it just so happens right. that these four stories fit in in mexico that's it that's great <laughs> we at the new england international film awards we're based in boston massachusetts there's over 90 colleges within like a three mile radius so there's a lot of colleges a lot of students a lot of filmmakers students i've been in numerous amounts of student films to start off my acting career really get experience what it's like to film in general so one of the things that we love to do is approach students teach them a little bit as a festival we received quite a few submissions from student films as well emerson college being one of them what advice would you give that student that wants to go into film finance or executive producing or writing you know it's interesting i saw the interview that you did with christina urias and she said say yes, yes. and i think that's true <laughs> i think that's i think that's what it's about what happened so as an executive producer i get people that bring me films they're so in love with their work and it's so sacred to them and it's so um, it's special it's not get going get it out of the way i love my first film i love my second my third and my fourth but i can't wait for my 10th you just gotta get going you have to get going yes it should be special to you fine get going say yes and don't be egotistical as to not work with people around. I, I can't tell you the number of times young people think they know something. And the moment you say to them, well, no, that's actually not. No, they get defensive. Exponential equations, all right? In my business world, I surrounded myself and I always tried to surround myself with at least 300 years of knowledge, okay? And the way that works is that you bring people in who have experience combined with yours. So if I've got 10 years of experience, somebody has one year of experience, then mm -hmm. I need to bring 
somebody that has 20 years of experience, 25 years of experience, 10 years, and you, you create a collective and it's an exponential equation. If, if you look at Final Vow and you look at the resumes of the people I surrounded myself with, we're well over 300 years of experience, right? Wow. And it shows in our work. What happens with young people is they want to surround themselves with young people. And that's awesome. But understand that if you're surrounding yourself with 10 years of experience, you're missing out an opportunity because I guarantee mm -hmm. you there are people near you who have more experience, but you have to be open to their experience in the capacity you need. And you have to know what you're good at and what you're not. But get the hell out of your own way. Get it done. Get onto your next film. Because filmmakers, we're not all Quentin Tarantino, right? Like we're not all <laughs> these geniuses you need experience because i can tell you final vow is my first film who, what i'm very proud of comes from a life experience i'm 54 years old now it wasn't like all of a sudden i forgot my entire life experience i'm bringing that to the screen in some capacity i think that's what it's about it's about get out of your way your work it's so sacred to these kids it's like yeah. get going and do it get going get out of your way don't out over negotiate yourself out of a deal because the reality is it's probably not going to be that good you're probably not going to get distribution so get going go make it happen think about how you're going to get to your 10th film because we as a society need that we need those voices but i can't tell you the number of times where these kids are so in love with their own work that mm -hmm. it's like it's like anything man it's like oh i've got the greatest anything uh, i've got the greatest marmalade right <laughs> oh but i can't see it let anybody see it I can't let anybody taste it. Well, how do you know if it's good if you don't remove your ego and let the people around you taste it? Because it may mm. need salt, right? Right. And that's it. Everything is so sacred to young people that they don't get the hell out of the way. You have to expose your work. Put your ego aside. Let your passion drive it. I don't have an ego about my work. I have passion about it. And if somebody mm -hmm. doesn't like it, I'm open to that conversation to tell me why. Because I'm going to learn. Now, right. If you tell me why, then I get to determine whether or not I respect your opinion, but I'll listen to it, right? And that's what I would say to young people. Wonderful. Get the hell out of your own way and surround yourself with as many years of experience to make your passion come true. We had Ishvan as well on the show. Ishvan and Christina definitely yeah. on the show. So just kind of touching base on your director's hat a little bit. What was it like to direct Christina as her first debut, her first lead performance. Scary, scary. <laughs> I was scared for her. And because I, I, she always tells the story like I took a chance on her, but she mm -hmm. also took a chance on me. But, you know, we love each other. I love her. And I had Ishvan, who's has a, he's an amazing cinematographer. I'm sorry I didn't mention him before. He, Ishvan's like my brother. And together, we were able to build a safe place for Christina. Uh, mm -hmm. Danforth came in and, you know, he's a very experienced uh, actor. He's been okay. a, uh, an acting coach for many years. And so we worked together to get Christina to a safe place where she could give us what we wanted. Because as you know, it's very, she has very vulnerable scenes and she kills it. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, first time acting, like you gotta be kidding me. And so as a director, I was scared for her that I wouldn't be able to direct the scenes in a way that would honor how vulnerable she was being. And mm -hmm. so it took the right moments, the right lighting, the right camera, the right angles, the right lenses to make sure 
that we were capturing how beautiful her vulnerability was, you know, and and um, I think we did that. I'm very proud of that. But that was that was uh, for me my first acting job with her. I think it's kind of appropriate that my first directing, her first acting, because we have a personal relationship. I needed to really take care of her, and she knew I would, and I think I did. That's great and great to hear. A lot of what Christina said. I mean, we have a lot in common, uh, me and Christina as well, because we were swimmers. So uh, being an athlete, just I don't know what it is about athletes in general, but we have a different type of coachable mm -hmm, persona, mm -hmm. if you if you want to put it that way. So that's great to hear. Before we wrap up, is there like any last thoughts that you would like to mention? No, you know what? I'm I'm just um I'm very proud of the film. Happy to be you know, talking to you and uh, the New England International Film Awards. I want to thank you for the award. And I like what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Film is about messages. We don't all have one. We have lots of different stories we should tell. And I think mm -hmm. that let's just tell them. Let's get, get out there and tell these stories. You know, you don't need a $5 million budget. You don't need a $1 million budget. You just need to get to the budget that tells your film, tells your story. I've learned, it's really funny because in my real estate world, when I make an investment, I know very clearly if it's a good invest investment or not, if it makes money. In film, I get together with these Hollywood types and they're like, oh, you know, I got a $10 million budget, but did your movie make any money? <laughs> Wasting money is not a trophy. Making a film and telling a message is. If you can do that for $20,000, do it. Don't walk mm -hmm. around thinking you did something calling yourself bitching because you spent a lot of other people's money it's unnecessary right. and stupid figure out what it takes to get your message out and back into it have a business acumen about what your story really is right mm -hmm. and tell it in the best way you can for the least amount of money you can that would be what i want people to walk away with i think it's just important because too many people just want to be able to say oh i did you know my budget's x or y no, man, if it's good, it's going to get looked at. It's going to get represented. It's going to have a home. But you just got to get going. Your work is not the greatest thing on earth until it is. But nobody's going to know if you don't share it. Ruben, thank you so much for thank your you, time. Uh, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. And really is kind of inaugurated the the, the festival with right. your first movie. <laughs> I uh, love it. One of love the it. movies, which is was awesome. But again, thank you so much. Thank you, Harold. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.